Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Paul Teese, and on this episode of If When, we explore the topic of small and advanced modular reactors and the role they play in the promotion of clean energy. With me today are Rich Deacon, UK Research and Innovations Industrial Strategy Challenge Fund, Low Cost Nuclear Challenge Director, and Andrew Bailey, Sales and Strategy Lead for Jacobs Critical Missions Solutions, International Technology and Innovation Business. Rich and Andrew, thank you both for joining me today. To start our discussion, first question is for you, Rich. You have a background in clean energy in the UK and the USA prior to your work with the UK government. First with the Department for Business, Energy, and Industrial Strategy, and then with UKRI. Could you give our listeners an insight into how you've seen the clean energy landscape change over the past five years? Sure, Paul, and um, thanks for the opportunity to uh, to be recorded and speak. Looking forward to it. So I think what I, what I might say is it's kind of been circular in one respect, a slow burn, but slowly accelerating, um, no pun intended. <laughs> So I'm going to go a little bit further back than kind of five years and, and say the UK has been on a, on a trajectory towards decarbonisation and recently calling it net zero since around 2007. In June 2019, um, we moved to the UK net zero target, which is 100% reduction mm-hmm. in net emissions, both emitters and um reduction in terms of what's already out there, so emitters and users, um, by 2050. Again, relative to the, to the 1990 levels. I think the other thing you've seen in the landscape is a huge increase in people interested in taking a slice of that challenge in terms of industrial technology. The landscape really started to shift, I think, in the UK with a publication that I draw people's attention to called Market Framework for Financing Small Nuclear. Mm-hmm. which the UK government published in 2018. That document was drafted by a, an expert group called the Expert Finance Working Group, which is essentially a bunch of financiers or a group of financiers who, nothing about, who knew nothing about nuclear. But they were asked the question, could small nuclear attract private investment? Mm-hmm. And happily, the answer was yes, given certain conditions. And... Essentially, what that really said, you know, that shifted the dial, certainly in the UK, where we started to say, okay, so there's a different delivery model, there's a different risk profile, there's a different economic model. Small nuclear can now compete with large nuclear. Mm-hmm. And really, it's been on an upward trajectory ever since then. Lots and lots of people are um, working on this. It's been recently reinforced with the Energy White Paper, Power Net Zero, um, which mm-hmm. signaled the UK wanting to step forward into small modular reactors. Talk about that slightly later on, I think. You know, when Rich was uh, was talking, he'd mentioned small modular reactors and then advanced modular reactors. And so, you know, for um, for our listeners who may not be familiar with, you know, the differences there, how, how do they differ from large-scale GW reactors and how might they be deployed or used? So, so I think keeping it really simple, Paul, I mean, small modular reactors are, as they sound, first of all, they are smaller than gigawatt reactors. And Mm. secondly, they are produced in a modular fashion in factories so that the installation at site is minimized and therefore installation time and cost is reduced. Mm. Um, Small modular reactors are typically defined by the International Atomic Energy Authority as being uh, below 300 megawatts in size. In reality, 
Um, that's not a hard fixed number. There are small modular reactors such as the UK SMR that Jacobs is involved in co-investing in, which is, which is larger than 300 megawatts. But the, the use of the phrase AMR or advanced modular reactor, I think is, is fairly unique probably to the UK government. It's, it's a terminology that was introduced in the UK to recognize that there are what we call generation four reactors or next, next technology reactors yeah. that offer additional benefits um, beyond the current generation. Um, and the UK government wanted to denote that with a separate name and so called them advanced modular reactors. But essentially, they are still small modular reactors just of the next generation. Mm. And I think that, you know, the, the key points about it are small modular reactors essentially will work together with larger gigawatt reactors. It's not an either or situation. They both complement each other within an electricity network. Now, Andrew, to kind of look from, uh, you know, from the commercial side of things, you, you know, you've been leading the Jacobs strategy and delivery on small and advanced modular nuclear reactors since 2016. How have you seen the focus on clean energy develop globally during this time? And how has nuclear f uh, featured within this mix? I guess to build and in build upon and endorse what uh, Richard said, mm -hmm. um, Jacobs nuclear business um, was involved in assisting um, the UK government to come up with a kind of a white paper check back in about 2014 that looked at uh, the viability of SMRs, if you like, small modular reactors uh, within a clean energy mix. I think in the six years or seven years of the past since then, I agree totally with Rich that it's almost been a kind of curve that has been increasing very rapidly um, recently. And I think there have been a number of factors that have all happened together, if you like. I think at a at a macro level, I think we see um, the high publicity events such as the likes of Greta Thunberg, for example, David Attenborough, mm -hmm. all those guys on the, you know, in the press are definitely driving um, policy or thinking behind policy for governments globally. Mm -hmm. I think in the UK, um, I think that there is a strong focus at the moment on what is called net zero by 2050. I think that the UK um, is housing the COP26 clean energy conference at the end of this year, mm -hmm. uh, which is very important on a global basis. We're all seeing electric cars becoming more about, more common. Uh, it's now a common conversation for people to think about electric car uh, infrastructure. You know, five, six years ago, that was uh, much less normal, if you like. And I think that the increase dramatically in the take-up of renewables, such as solar and probably more, more so wind, uh, actually has helped the conversation with regard to nuclear because people are realizing that you need a blend of clean energy to achieve the, the 2050 ambitions. In other words, renewables such as uh, wind and, and photovoltaic solar will provide energy when the sun is shining and the wind is blowing, but when neither of those things are happening, you need baseload electricity provided by a clean energy source, mm. which is nuclear power. Can you, uh, Andrew, describe for us the approach that Jacobs is taking to small modular reactors and advanced modular reactors in terms of focus and investment? Within a business case, you know, we've taken a decision over the last few years to invest in uh, the UK SMR, you know, which is a, uh, a reactor that uh, Rich is the uh, is the challenge director representing you know government interests on that 
uh, mm -hmm. development. Government is uh, providing matched funding into that program. Um, Jacobs has invested to date in, uh, in phase that program and is now looking at phase two. Mm -hmm. And that program you know, is a collaboration between UK government and key industrial players to move a design forward to, you know, to a viable power plant. So for Jacobs, you know, that represents an exciting opportunity, both for investment, but also for uh, technology development, capability development, and um, also um, enablement of the supply chain for the future, if you will. So we are supporting a number of uh, reactor technologies that the UK government is backing currently. Uh, we are supporting the U battery uh, by Urenco. Um, we are also supporting the Westinghouse lead cooled fast reactor, you know, with a view to the future mm -hmm. um, and with a view to developing skill sets that will be future proof for not just years, but for decades going forward. So, so Rich, kind of taking a look at like the government perspective here, you know, it's always a difficult balance for a government to make in terms of enabling a market and how to best do this through policy or direct investment. Can you give your view as to how this might be shaped and the factors which are likely to shape this challenge for the nuclear energy supply chain? First of all, there are lots of tech vendors out there want to um, move forward in terms of progressing a technology's design and maturation levels, if you like, and its ability to come to market. Nobody invests significant money in doing that because developing nuclear products is expensive and complex, um, whatever the number is. Um, nobody, nobody invests in doing that unless they believe there's going to be a route to market. So the first enabler is the government has to somehow scale the market mm -hmm. and say that it's intending moving forward in the arena. So I think the energy white paper kind of does that. It, it's the first signal. And the analysis that underpins it is where I drew the 5 to 15 and, and the various scales of that market potential. So first of all, is there going to be somewhere to sell your product? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, if you then think about what comes after that, well, you only sell your product if you can deploy it. So you need sites. So I think it's then incumbent on, on the government in the UK to, in terms of enabling the supply chain to come forward with a policy that supports the siting and reduces the risk of eventual deployment. So you'll probably um, recall the people on, I'm sure listening to this will, will be aware of previous national policy statements in the UK that, that specifically enable or, or reference sites for potential gigawatt reactors. I think that's likely to be refreshed and would need refreshing. So I think government will have to step in to do that. There's another thing which is kind of interesting, which is fundamentally one of the roots of this and the shift in the, in the thinking here is mm -hmm. who's the customer? So somebody has to actually be the customer for the unit and or the power. In the UK, that's traditionally been often conflated with the, with the utility. Mm -hmm. And in other regions, that's quite easy because a lot of the utilities are the state utilities. It, it doesn't necessarily need to be so. So if, if a product can come forward that can deliver power on an economic basis so it can be dispatched into the grid, i.e. The, the national grid, for instance, would purchase that mm -hmm. to support the UK, a commercial investor could own that and just basically invest in it as a revenue-generating stream, which then gets you into, well, government's got to show a route and a pathway to how that investment would be recovered. Mm -hmm. It might be... a a contract for difference in the UK, which essentially is a, is a price risk mitigation mechanism. 
It might be some sort of regulated asset base where the government takes a share of the risk in building the infrastructure. It may be some direct share of that, or it may even be something that's starting maybe to emerge, a sharing building the infrastructure that, to deliver the modules or the units. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an interesting way to go. So there's, there's a customer side which the government needs to enable and balance. There's a site policy statements that need to come forward. Mm-hmm. There's support to tech vendors, and, and I've mentioned the Advanced Nuclear Fund, where it's essentially seed funding mm-hmm. um, and sharing the risk of the development. It's probably less about the magnitude of the funding, Paul, and more about the signal of intent that you are looking to enable a market. Mm-hmm. It's fairly reasonable, we think, that most logical people would say, well, would the UK government essentially match fund mm-hmm. a half a billion pound program to bring forward a small modular reactor if it didn't see foresee itself having to enable eventual deployment of that, either within the UK or abroad? Mm. Yeah, and the answer is both. And finally, it has to make access to the regulator available. Mm-hmm. So in the UK, most people recognize it as, as an entry point through what's called the generic design assessment. In, um, in Canada, it would be the uh, vendor design assessment. And in the US, it would be the NRC process. In the UK, I think you can anticipate at some point that the generic design assessment process will open up and be available for applicants for technologies wishing to be deployed in the UK, mm-hmm. and they'll be assessed. How big do you see the potential market for SMRs, and when might we see them deployed? So I think um, the potential market now, um, you know, Rich, Rich has talked about that a little bit in his uh, in his previous dialogue. I mean, we were involved in a study back in 2014 that proposed that the potential market for um, SMRs back in 2014 was about 85 gigawatts. Uh, That was very much a sort of a finger in the air assessment, I think, at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, Since then, Rich and I have discussed on this podcast, you know, the fact that the world has moved on quite significantly. You know, there's a lot of development in in the areas of things like electric cars and other areas. So, you know, you you can basically say that the potential market is probably many multiples of that number depending on what, what, what decarbonization scenario you exactly follow. You know, mm. certainly if you start to, to look at the scenario where, um, you know, electric cars become wide scale, you know, mm. by sort of the 2030s, if you like, mm. if you start to look at a scenario where, you know, the decarbonization of heavy goods vehicles, for example, is achieved primarily by, hydrogen usage and, and, and other forms of uh, high intensity fuel for example then you can you can see a scenario very quickly where the amount of clean energy electricity needed is you know as many times what it is today i think if you look at the type of potential market i think you, it then breaks down into sort of several areas i think first of all in terms of um, on-grid electricity i think smrs have a place to play with gigawatt reactors because Um, When I talk to my colleagues in the infrastructure part of Jacobs, they will very quickly tell me about the fact that you need to balance uh, electricity networks and you need to have an infrastructure that is very balanced and very organized. Clearly, that's not my skill set, but, you know, deferring to their skill sets, you know, clearly that is something that's very, very important. So SMRs um, clearly can play very heavily into that balanced network approach, first of all. I think secondly, 
we've seen a move in recent years towards the recognition of um, the language of clean energy parks and clean energy parks, you know, being defined as um, entities that would have a range of clean energy sources on that site, um, producing, you know, a balanced output, potentially with linked high technology entities also on those same parks. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is a, a sort of a something that we'll see in the future. I think that um, I alluded earlier on to the fact that high temperature reactors probably will have a part to play with regard to the high heat output and whether they can um, swing the dial a bit in terms of the adoption of hydrogen from a sort of a green, clean hydrogen perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think also, you know, referring to micro reactors, you know, we're working with Urenco on the U battery at the moment. Um, you know, that is a high temperature reactor, but it's also a micro reactor. And as the world develops, you know, if we, if we move beyond the UK and look globally, there's a huge world out there that is developing very quickly in terms of the number of remote habitations that exist, but also the number of villages that are becoming towns. So, Rich, in your current role as a UK RI Challenge Director and the Program Director for the UK Small Modular Reactor Program, you know, you're aware of the wider challenge for UK RI and the challenges of enabling a specific program such as you know the UK SMR. Can yep. you give an insight into how your organization will look to enable technology development in one area of clean energy, you know, such as nuclear, to benefit a wider clean energy agenda for the UK? So my my particular challenge, the SMR challenge, sits as one of, and it's it's one of the larger um, funded programs, one of 20 industrial strategy challenge funded programs. Yeah, mm -hmm. of which four or five very significant ones are very much targeted at clean growth um, and clean energy agenda. So the the ones that are sitting in there are um, the industrial decarbonisation. So a fellow challenge director of mine who I work very closely with um, is leading the IDC, Industrial Decarb Challenge. There's a, another one that is transforming foundation industries which is really interesting. So I work quite closely with the guys running that. I also uh, pull together um, and work with um, a challenge director who is leading um, the construction sector challenge, which essentially is looking to change the way that uh, infrastructure is um, fabricated. So I guess in the round, what we've almost got there is a cluster of industrial programs they're running in parallel, but actually have got synergies and links. Well, Rich and Andrew, I want to thank you both for a very enlightening, bad pun, but very enlightening discussion today. Uh, really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for helping me and our listeners learn more about small and advanced modular reactors. So thank you both very much.